Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 103. Just as parents are kind to their children, the Lord is kind to all who worship him. Because he knows we are made of dust, we humans are like grass or wildflowers that quickly bloom. But a scorching wind blows, and they quickly wither to be forever forgotten. The Lord is always kind to those who worship him, and he keeps his promises to their descendants who faithfully obey him. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing a sermon series this fall through the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then the book of Acts, the story really of of the early church and the way it grew from this small gathering waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon it. And we've been tracking the movement of the church, the unlikely gathering of folks that start to come together. And that only continues today in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15, as we have a story about the Apostle Paul and Timothy. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision... We immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis and from there Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira in a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my very favorite letters in all of scripture is the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this to the people of Philippi. And Paul had a deep kinship and love for all the congregations he founded, he was a part of, he visited. But there is just this special affection and joy that he knew with the people of Philippi. And if you've read the letter, it just comes through time and again in droves. In fact, Philippians, it opens after a couple lines of customary greeting. And then Paul writes, I thank my God 
every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership, it's the word koinonia in Greek. And in part, it means friendship. A shared affinity, a shared care for one another. You enjoy one another's presence. But it's more than just a friendship of the kind of folks you want to go and grab a bite to eat with or grab drinks with. It also has a sense of shared responsibility. That we're inside of of a movement, an endeavor. We're moving the ball forward on something that matters. We have a shared sense of purpose. And for Paul, that koinonia was in the gospel. We have a friendship and we are moving the ball forward on the things of Jesus. The healing of Jesus in the world. The justice of Jesus. The love of Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus. I thank my God every time I pray for you. When I pray for you, It's with such joy because of the koinonia, the kinship and purpose we share. To whom would you write that letter today? Maybe you know something of a koinonia right now. Maybe you've known seasons of beautiful koinonia, a shared sense of kinship and also purpose and calling unto something that really matters. Maybe you knew it with a certain group of friends, a job, a congregation, family, Maybe you knew it and actually you longed for a season of renewal or a a new kind of koinonia again of that vibrancy. And regardless of how we might come at that question today, when I look out at society and I see how many folks are facing such a sense of loneliness and isolation and estrangement, both among those who are aging and, and, and among the younger population, I sense there is actually a deep longing for koinonia. Friendship, where yes, I'm truly known for who I am and love for who I am, but, but also in motion towards something that matters, something that's not trivial. How did Paul come to receive the gift of koinonia with such vibrancy as that with the Philippians? How did Paul, a Jewish man from Tarsus, modern-day Turkey, get koinonia with Gentile Philippians literally a thousand miles away from him? And how might appreciating some of his story maybe shed light on our own story in the gift of koinonia in our midst? Well, Paul's story with the Philippian people, it begins in Acts 16, the reading you heard just moments ago. And it begins with the Philippians not remotely on Paul's mind, not even an area he's thinking about or trying to go. In fact, Paul and his younger compatriot Timothy are trying to spread the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. And they really want, we read, to go to Asia and, and, and do some good work there. That is the area we know today as uh, Asia Minor, Turkey. And we read they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Can't go west. So they try to go north to Bithynia. And we read the spirit of Jesus blocks them from the good thing they're wanting to do. Forbidden to the west. Disallowed to the north. What does that look like when the spirit forbids and disallows us in different directions? How did they know? September 2015. Michelle and I were in the adoption process about eight or nine months along, and we get the call. The adoption agency says, 
there's a baby girl. She's doing a week. Now, one or both of her parents probably did some drugs. The mother wants to place the baby girl for adoption. The father wants custody, but, but he is in jail, and he's got a long record, and it's doubtful any judge would ultimately grant him custody. But look, it's going to be a long process, and it's going to be kind of a foster-to-adopt situation. And I can still remember us sitting in, in the bedroom there with just this overwhelming joy. Okay, the drugs, who knows what that's going to mean. The custody, have you, Oh my gosh, she's coming in a week. <laughs> but yes, yeah, yeah, yes, a baby girl. Word got out to our family. Word spread to you all the joy. But goodness, within a day, the Atchisons had hand-me-downs from Elena and Julia at our doorstep ready for this girl. And we start to move west. And three days later, we get a phone call. It all fell through. Turns out the... the the mother had been using two adoption agencies to sort of throw off the father from figuring the whole thing out. There was another couple who'd been waiting for this girl for months to be parents. We were something of pawns to throw the father off. I mean, is that what forbidden by the Holy Spirit can look like? You've got a door that you anticipate going through, you want to go through, it's a good thing, and then it closes. Is that forbidden by the Holy Spirit? Is that God when the door's Close. I'm leery of anyone who names every closed door or every open door the will of God. My goodness, some closed doors call forth a perseverance of faith that love might break through the change. Justice might break through the chains. And some open doors, goodness, they look so wide and beautiful and they are in fact a forbidden fruit that will be our unraveling. At the same time, I'm leery of any who consider these doors and just say, "Ah, who knows? I don't know if it's God. Because the truth is, right, the Holy Spirit has promised us. The Holy Spirit abides in us and we are called to grow in our learning to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us through Scripture, through the counsel of one another, through the prayerfulness within Paul and Timothy, they discern that they're forbidden west and they disallowed north. And so they take a night in Troas. And it's during the night that Paul receives a vision. And, and Luke could have written that Paul just received a vision in Troas and gone with the story. But he underscores that it happens at night. Almost as if to remind us that it really is when things are dark out and we really don't know what's going to come next. When we're in that kind of valley that it is often then that we notice the good shepherd's voice. As if to remind us, you know, it really is often in the darkness, as perplexing as that is, that our senses are far more attuned and heightened. And perhaps Paul's hearing is more heightened in the darkness because he does hear a voice. You heard it's a man from Macedonia, very far west, all the way out in Europe. The man from Macedonia pleads, come to Macedonia and help. And immediately Paul and Timothy, they get together and they say, that's not just any voice. That cry for help is in fact God's leading on our life. It reminds me of that that great quote some of you may know from Frederick Buechner. He's a 
a well-known Presbyterian pastor and author, and he says, you know, the place God calls you, the place you really know and find that, that koinonia, that place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Your deep gladness, that which brings you great joy, that which you are gifted for, that which animates you most fully, intersects with the ache, the hunger, the need of this world. Paul, the deep gladness and joy you take in preaching the gospel and and sharing Jesus' love and serving others. Oh, Paul, it intersects with a real need here in Macedonia. Come this way. Your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger. And so we read, Paul and Timothy, they set sail for Troas. And I don't think it's an accident that Luke writes that they set sail. Yes, quite literally, they needed to get across the Aegean Sea, far west to Europe. But in the early church, the sailboat was a prominent image for the life of faith. There was this sense that once you start to track into where God is leading you, this intersection of gladness and ache, once you start to track into that, there's this sense that you start to move further and farther than you ever could have on your own. It's less row, row, row your boats. You sort of get out what you put in. And more this sense that that as you get into the stream of where God's leading you, there's a wind at your back and you're you're really noticing you couldn't have put this kind of thing together, not this fast, not this far, without something else moving. After that adoption, hoped-for adoption in September, fell through, another one came along, and a few days later it also fell through. So January 2016, Michelle and I decided we are going to start rowing, and we're going to row really hard. We're going to do everything the adoption agencies say you should do to get your name out there that you are open for adoption. You write a letter to every single person. You know everyone you've ever met. You write a second one. You just keep letting folks know you would love to adopt. You get out on social media and you stay out on social media all the avenues, all the time. We were ready to drop the oars in January of 2016 when a phone call came from California. It was a young couple international students in Los Angeles. The next day we set up a Skype and within a few minutes of the conversation they're asking us to be parents for this child to be born in three weeks. That child is born a week later. His name, as you know, is Leo. And many of you know some of the details of where the story goes from there, but looking back, one of the things that strikes me is how little rowing that season had going on. And it was so much more about your prayerfulness, quite frankly, the need over there. And, and then it was less that we kind of engineered circumstances to make all the details work. Honestly, it was more like things just started falling into place, like wind at your back. So they set sail, and they're going faster and further, but they don't know precisely where exactly this will all specifically land. They do get to the area of Macedonia. That's huge, way out here in the west. Specifically, they get to a leading city called Philippi, and they get there, and nothing happens for a little bit. But then one day, one Sabbath day, you heard they they go on down to the river where it's 
they hear that's a place to, that people like to gather to pray. Maybe they're just wise enough to know that if you get somewhere, you think God's called you to it, maybe go where the prayers are to see where the God action is. It's a group of women gathered there, and among them is this woman named Lydia. She is a seller of purple cloth. Only the wealthiest of merchants could purchase purple cloth. And she has a whole household under her. It is obvious she is a wealthy woman. She is a woman of connection, a woman of means, a woman of influence. And we read, the Lord has opened her heart to listen to whatever Paul and Timothy have to say. And it's really like Paul and Timothy, even though they're on land, they've really not ever stopped sailing. Because the fact that they have come to this woman is opening then their message and their love to so many more than they could have ever engineered or figured out on their own. They've got a wind at their back, even in this household. And eventually this woman and the whole household, they're baptized. They're submerged, their will, their way, and they, 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 they want to rise into a following of this guy, Jesus. And what is their very first act of obedience she opens the door of the house and said you must stay Paul and Timothy and we read she prevailed upon them I love this there's a story that begins with a closed door and then a closed door and then a dark night a lot of motion but no where and it ends with a door so wide open they're being pulled into it you your gifts your love the thing that brings you deep gladness there is a need here and boy they are just and there it is the first day of koinonia between a jewish man from tarsus and gentiles all the way out in philippi how does god give us The gift of koinonia. This abiding sense of genuine friendship, but also deep and real purpose unto the things that matter. Which is to say, how does God form and shape and bring together the church? At our most sublime, at our most faithful, how does God do that work? And Paul's circuitous story kind of gives us hints at some of the ways God will bring us into fresh seasons of Koinonia. Closed doors that sure looked good. A dark night where finally we start to hear something. A cry for help. And then the wind <laughs> moving. Who knows exactly where, but boy, we're moving. And I wonder if any of us, as we think of our own lives right now, might place us ourselves somewhere in that story of what God is leading us, bringing us, drawing us to. And yet the truth is, even as the Lord was leading Paul into a new season of koinonia that proved greatly memorable among the most unlikely of people, Paul also had koinonia unfolding in his midst that entire story, did he not? If there's one other letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote that, that, that bursts with about the same kind of joy as Philippians, it's 2 Timothy. Listen to how he writes to Timothy years later after all those travels they shared. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. 
I thank God whom I serve as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandma Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. Timothy, you know, the one who was there when the doors closed. Timothy, the one who was there when it was dark. Timothy, the one who helped figure out whatever that voice, that cry of need was about. Timothy, the one who was there in the sailing, and we're going faster and further than we're used to, and we don't know how this is going to land. Timothy, koinonia. I do believe Jesus is always leading us unto new seasons of koinonia and purpose, alongside, quite frankly, folks we never would have predicted. And yet, even as we're on that way, even as we are discerning where on that path we might be, let's not overlook who is to our left and our right this day. Who is in our midst today at these steps? Might their very presence be to us the spirit of Jesus Christ who declares, I have called you Friends, amen.